MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020. Today, Trump resumes his coronavirus briefings, which are actually just political ads that we're all paying for and I won't be covering it. The U.K.-Russia report is out. Democratic leaders demand a briefing on foreign election interference campaign problems. Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson are accused of sexual harassment. SCOTUS denies an expedited schedule for House Democrats to obtain Trump's financial records. Flynn is mad at Judge Sullivan. Boo-hoo. Cohen sues Barr and the Department of Justice. The Ohio State Speaker of the House is arrested for racketeering and bribery. Trump takes illegal action on immigration. And Matt Gates is a hack misogynist. I'm your host, A.G. All right, everybody, we have a very big show for you today. Uh, we it might come out a little bit late. We had a few tough technical difficulties, but I will be uh, having a discussion with Natasha Bertrand about what I think is a blockbuster story. And this is that, you know, we spoke uh, yesterday about um, the, the Democratic lawmakers writing a letter to the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, to say, hey, uh, we're raising these alarm bells because we understand that there's possibly some election interference coming through Congress. And a piece by Natasha Bertrand and Politico uh, where her anonymous sources are saying that that has to do with Ron Johnson and his uh, committee subpoenas that we spoke of two days ago uh, for all of the you know ex-Obama officials and people who worked in Joe Biden's office and his investigation into Biden and Burisma. And so we will be uh, having that discussion with her a little bit later on in the show. Uh, I'll have news from under the radar uh, with Jordan and, of course, the Good News Block as well. And she is feeling better, so thanks for sending out all of your uh, good feeling vibes because that worked. And uh, uh, let's see, what else is today? Gosh, it's it's Tuesday. No, well, it's Tuesday, but it's Wednesday. Anyway, it's a little bit less crazy than yesterday, so we can breathe a little bit when we go over the news today. So I'm excited about it. We have a lot to get to, though, still, as you could hear from the intro. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, everybody, lead story today. I mean, at least so far today. It's early yet. Who knows what could happen? Uh, I know you all remember us sounding the alarm bells about something specific that Donald Trump said to Chris Wallace in his Fox News interview, <clears throat> in his Fox News interview over the weekend that he, that he said was fabulous, by the way. Uh, he told him, he told Wallace that with regards to a new health care thing that he's coming up with and some new immigration stuff he's coming up with, that he's going to pass some laws on his own. And he can do that because of the recent DACA ruling from the Supreme Court that is, is allowing him to do it. So today we're getting a chance to see what he was talking about. And joining me to discuss it, former National Security Council uh, lawyer, former Department of Justice. Now he's, uh, he, now he's you're at uh, Professor at Georgetown, Joshua Gelser. Josh, welcome and thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me back. I'm really, really glad that I got to talk to you about this uh, because of a pair of tweets that you put out today, and, and we'll get into it. Uh, but give us a little background, first of all, on what the DACA decision uh, is that he was referring to in that Chris Wallace interview that apparently, according to him, gives him carte blanche to make laws without Congress. So 
last month, uh, as the Supreme Court term wrapped up, one of the big decisions was a 5-4 ruling by the court finding unlawful the Trump administration's effort to terminate the DACA program. Uh, and the reasoning of the court was classic administrative law in a sense. What Chief Justice Roberts wrote for the majority was that the reasons, the justifications that the Trump administration had given for terminating the DACA program and in particular the protections from removal that it offers so-called dreamers present in the United States, that the, the reasoning didn't match up, the justification didn't match what the administration was actually doing in terminating the program. In, in a sense, it was very reminiscent of the Chief Justice's 5-4 majority opinion almost exactly a year earlier in the case about the census citizenship question, insofar as Chief Justice Roberts was saying, there's a pretext here. This, the reasoning and the action, they don't match up, and under classic administrative law principles, a court can't let that stand. Hmm. So uh, that DACA decision, they didn't decide really on the merits of the case, uh, but really whether or not Trump had the proper authority to terminate the Obama program. Is that what you're saying? That's right. In a sense, it was a narrow decision, and it said at least done this way, on this basis, on this justification with the particular legal memo animating or purporting to animate the termination. In this way, the Trump administration can't terminate the program. That's not the merits of DACA. That's really not even whether conceivably the program could be terminated. But what the court majority said was, this doesn't cut it. This can't fly. Hmm. So then any assertion Trump made to Chris Wallace that the recent DACA decision gives him any authority to give out executive orders or memoranda or write laws by circumventing Congress is factually incorrect. Factually and legally incorrect. And the only way one could even try to figure out what the president might mean and what link there might be between that loss he suffered at the Supreme Court and the census memo Trump issued today is, at least according to media reporting, through the White House's interpretation of an article that John Yu, formerly of uh, the Justice Department, wrote. And at least as it's being reported, the White House has understood that article to mean the following, to suggest that if a president does something unlawful, uh, it's okay, because a next president may find it difficult and at least take time to get it reversed and might even lose at the Supreme Court upon trying. Now, that is a wildly lawless reading of this decision. That's not what the decision said. That's not what the decision held. That's not the reasoning behind it. But uh, again, reports suggest that that is the contortions through that John Yu rendering that this White House has taken the, the DACA result. And conceivably, that's the through line between the loss Trump, Trump suffered last month and the lawless memo he issued about the census today. Okay, so can you tell us about the memo he issued today? What does that memo say? So the memo says that as the census that is being held this year, 2020, it happens every 10 years, as it wraps up, and as the president fulfills his statutory responsibility to take the totals from the, the population count that the census has, has rendered and turn those into a reallocation, the apportionment it's called, of House seats so that those 435 House seats 
properly reflect the population across the 50 states, that when the president does that, he will do so using not the full population count, which is what the census is, is currently doing, but instead he will exclude those who are undocumented immigrants, essentially, those not here lawfully. Now, that's contrary to all sorts of directions in the law that we can talk about, but that's what the memo said Trump's approach to apportionment under the census will be. Okay, so apart from the DACA decision not actually giving him authority, and apart from his previous assertions that Article 2 gives him the authority to do whatever he wants, his memo you're saying is just unconstitutional on its face. Let's talk about all the different things that it goes against. Uh, can you tell us about some of those other, um, you know, I, you know, you, you were saying that it's there's probably, I think there's, I think I count four, maybe five different things that, that it kind of flies in the face of. Can you go over some of those? Absolutely. Let's start with the constitutional text. Let's go to Supreme Court precedent, and then let's add a, a federal statute for, for good measure. So Justice Kagan famously said, we are all textualists now. This is a case where being a textualist makes things pretty easy. Here's what the first sentence of Section 2 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution says. Representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state, excluding Indians not taxed. So counting the whole number of persons in each state strikes me as about as clear as a text can get about what you're supposed to count when you do this apportionment task. It's not citizens. It's not those here lawfully. It's not those here lawfully of a certain type. It's just all, all the people who are there. And if one had any doubt about what the Constitution said, one would go to a second place, which would be what the Supreme Court has said about it. And in 2016, Justice Ginsburg wrote an opinion for unanimous court. Seven justices technically joined her opinion to concurred in the judgment. And she included the following two sentences. The first one was about the original Constitution. She wrote, the basis of representation in the House was to include all inhabitants, although slaves were counted as only three-fifths of a person. And then a little bit later in the opinion, she turned specifically to the 14th Amendment, the passage I just read a moment ago, and she said, Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, I'm going to skip a few words here, retained total population as the congressional apportionment base. Total population. Let me just contrast those words from a majority opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court with a sentence from Trump's memo today, which said, the Constitution does not specifically define which persons must be included in the apportionment base. I mean, that's taking a sentence from a Supreme Court majority opinion and adding the word not, essentially. <laughs> that's just lawless for a president. And let me just throw in for good measure 2 U.S. Code 2A, subsection A, which really just implements the 14th Amendment. And a piece of it says, the president shall transmit to the Congress a statement showing the whole number of persons in each state. And then the language goes on to explain that that's used for apportionment. So if we had any doubt of what the Constitution meant, the Supreme Court's rendering of it, federal statutes implementation of it, all of this points directly contrary to what the president's memo said today. Okay, so... <laughs> So not only does this buck, like you said, previous established precedent about interpretation of the 14th Amendment itself, um, but we have his assertion about the DACA decision, which had nothing to do with the merits of the case. There's also a statute 
But there was also in the last term, you had mentioned briefly earlier, a case about the census where something was similarly decided. Was there, was there not? In a sense, I think people can see this as something of an end run of one of the biggest losses Trump experienced last term at the Supreme Court, which was the case in which a 5-4 majority, with the Chief Justice writing, the majority opinion rejected the Trump administration's attempt to add a citizenship question to the census. And it was also an administrative law decision, much like the DACA decision. It said the justification, in that case it was to enforce the Voting Rights Act purportedly, didn't match up with the action taken because experts across the government were saying that this would not help that objective while detracting from the constitutional objective of getting the most accurate count of the population it could. And in, in the memo, and especially the public statement issued by Trump today accompanying the memo, almost gave the game away. It almost said, well, I lost that case, but after I accepted the loss, which you may recall took a week or two, uh, which shouldn't take a president any time at all, but after I accepted that I lost at the Supreme Court, I ordered the Census Bureau to find other ways to figure out citizenship, and here I am today, roughly a year later, finding this way to push citizenship into the census process and in particular the apportionment process. So certainly the president gets no basis for today's action in the case he lost a year ago. And at a level of generality, this is something of an attempt at an end run around the loss he suffered at the court. Okay. And what, what other, what possible, I mean, we've got seemingly a foolproof uh, case here, but there you, could there be any arguments about any terms, uh, understanding use of words about apportionment or, um, you know, anything about in, inhabitants versus whole persons? Could there be any uh, any way that he could argue any of that? I think inhabitants is where the the Trump memo, to the extent it makes a legal argument, tries to do so. The memo essentially takes unambiguous words, claims that they're ambiguous, and then says the president has the authority to, to give them meaning. So uh, what the memo says is that the Constitution doesn't define which persons should be included in the apportionment base. That's the sentence I read earlier that's diametrically opposed to the one in a majority opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court, and says, but the memo goes on to say, Persons in each state has been interpreted to mean that inhabitants should be counted, and determining what inhabitants means is something where the president has some leeway. Now, if the word were really inhabitants, we could have an argument over whether that's ambiguous or not. I'm not so sure it is. I think inhabitants sounds a lot like all the people who are there. But that's where the administration at least claims there's ambiguity. But here's the problem. The word inhabitants doesn't appear in the Constitution, the Supreme Court decision, or the, the federal uh, federal statute. It's whole number of persons that appears there. So they're trying to launder, in a sense, in this memo, uh, unambiguous language through some made-up intermediate term for which they claim there's ambiguity, and then resolve it with a presidential uh, determination of what it should mean. That just doesn't work. Yeah, well, leave it to him. And I and speaking of interpretations, I mean, this is 
this is what he's going to do, right? He's just going to go forward with this, then somebody's going to sue him, and then he'll try to delay it and appeal it, but hopefully some lower court will block or issue a stay or an injunction. I mean, is that what we're looking at here? There's going to be a, there's got to be a boatload of lawsuits about this memo today about to hit. I think that's right. And and how those lawsuits proceed, I, I think, is, is critical to, to the fate of, of the approach um, outlined in this memo. Uh, the ACLU has already indicated that they'll be suing, presumably, uh, at least blue states that stand to lose house seats from this will be suing, though red states like Texas that stand to lose seats should be suing, too, if it weren't for the, the, the politics of suing the Trump administration. And I think those suits should be resolved fairly quickly and easily. Uh, certainly, if you buy the arguments I'm making here, I, I think district courts should rule uh, in favor of the challengers and against the president. And that's where timing and the, the practice of, of the different layers of our federal judiciary right now enters the picture. And this is something where uh, one of your uh, periodic guests, the wonderful Steve Vladek, has written extensively because we increasingly see a Trump administration that after it loses in the district court, runs to the Supreme Court and says, you haven't heard this case yet, but don't let the loss that we just suffered go into effect yet. Let us essentially win until the case gets to you, and then maybe the government wins or maybe it loses, but a lot of damage has been done. And the administration has done that at an unprecedented pace, and the court has indulged it at an unprecedented pace. And so I think a big question here is, after the, that loss happens in district court or those losses happen in district courts, does the Supreme Court grant that sort of halt, that stay for a lower court ruling, blocking this memo from taking effect? Or do they do what really has been their traditional practice as the Supreme Court, which is to say, look, we'll hear the case if we need to when we can have full briefing and argument and really consider it, but we're not going to step in when a lower court has considered it more carefully than we have and second-guess that, that judgment. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. And I know you will, too. You come back and talk with us when it happens. Yeah, I look forward to it. Awesome. I appreciate you coming on today. Everybody, former NSC, DOJ, so many letters behind your name and professor at Georgetown University, Joshua Geltzer. Thanks for joining me today. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by our sponsor, CarShield. These days, computer systems in cars are ubiquitous, from electronically controlled transmissions and touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. They have windshield wipers that sense if it's raining. Uh, anyway, they're everywhere. Computers are everywhere. But you can't fix any of these new features yourself. It's not like my old Ford F-250 where I just climb in the hood with a wrench and a screwdriver and I could figure it out. But when something breaks now, it can cost a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. Dealing with tech-related car stuff can be a huge pain. Like I said, I've personally had to fix the display screen recently, and it cost me a small fortune. The repairs took forever. That's why I have CarShield. I love that they understand payment flexibility is essential, and they have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs. CarShield's affordable protection plans can save you thousands for covered repair on computers, GPS, electronics, and more, with no long-term contracts or commitments. CarShield gives you options that others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic and your favorite dealership, and they'll do the work for you, and CarShield will take care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and rental car assistance while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers, so drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code DAILYBEANS or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. 
That's carshield.com, code dailybeans. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, As you know, we reported yesterday Democratic congressional leaders have demanded answers in a letter to Christopher Wray and the FBI about potential foreign influence operations in Congress. And joining me today to discuss some follow-up stuff and and a couple of pieces she's written is a national security correspondent for Politico, Natasha Bertrand. Natasha, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So these are incredible stories. Um, The first one focuses on what Republican Senator Ron Johnson is doing in the Senate, potentially. And the second is a comprehensive statement released by Joe Biden warning against the foreign election interference. And and you pen both of these pieces. So let's start with the letter uh, that Democratic leaders have written to the director of the FBI when they sent that and what they're demanding, what they're sounding alarm bells about. Yeah. So in the letter that was released publicly, they said that members of Congress were being targeted by a foreign interference operation aimed at influencing um, congressional deliberations and the administration and, of course, uh, the upcoming election. And no one really knew what that meant at first. It was very vague. Um, It was purposefully vague because what I'm told is that they're really trying to avoid any appearance of being partisan here. They genuinely are concerned that members of Congress and the administration are being used by foreign actors who have nefarious, um, uh, who have nefarious, I'm blanking on the word, uh, motivations, <laughs> yes, <laughs> intentions. And so but the, the classified portion of their letter to the FBI has more information about what they're actually talking about. And what we're told is that this really centers on the investigation being carried out by the Senate, by Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley, into information that they have been gleaning really from Ukrainians who have been shopping negative information around about Joe Biden really since, you know, before the impeachment um, process even began. Um, And it's part of what got Donald Trump impeached to begin with. So what they're concerned about is that members of Congress who are pursuing these probes are just being used as tools of Russian propaganda and, you know, the, 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 um, the things that the Ukrainian lawmakers who have corrupt motives and who don't want to see a Joe Biden presidency, um, their, their intentions are kind of influencing what goes on in the Senate now. Okay, yeah, because we had reported the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, which is chaired by Ron Johnson, is working to secure witness depositions voluntarily. And he was seeking testimony from former Deputy Secretary of State Antony Blinken, um, senior foreign policy advisor on Biden's campaign. He was looking uh, to talk to Amos Hochstein and other former State Department officials like Victoria Nuland and Catherine Novelli. And that was all sort of in this uh investigation into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Burisma. And <clears throat> I think what you're saying is that is this, you know, they were looking to issue some subpoenas, I think, tomorrow. And so that's what this is about, right? Or at least what you're being told it's about. Yeah. So part of the reason Democrats decided to release the letter when they did um, is because they see that the Senate is getting ready to escalate this and potentially issue subpoenas to these former Biden advisors. So that would that would really represent kind of a dramatic escalation of the whole thing. Um, so far, Tony Blinken and Amos Huxley, they've been really reluctant to engage in this because they don't see it as legitimate investigation. They see it as an, an, an out, 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 re, outreach of Russian propaganda. So they don't want to give it oxygen. 
but they may have to face a subpoena, um, which is why Democrats are now trying to draw attention to this idea that the senators are being used here and that their probe is not not legitimate. Uh, and, and like you said, they sort of kept it ambiguous so as not to say that these senators are knowingly participating in this laundering of, uh, in you know, foreign election interference, but that it it's happening and someone should take a look at it and bring it to someone's attention. Yeah, that's right. They want the FBI to give a counterintelligence briefing to all members um, and explain to them that these are nefarious actors who are trying to interfere in the election and that the Senate should not be helping them um, in that goal. And something that, that we've been told repeatedly by Democrats is that, you know, in 2016, the Russians had WikiLeaks and the media, frankly, to launder all of this stuff. Um, and now it seems like they're trying to use Congress to do that. So it's kind of taken from the same playbook, but it's just different in, in the way that it's being carried out. Wasn't Ron Johnson one of the seven members of Congress who visited Russia on the 4th of July a couple years back? He was. He was. And that's never been fully explained either. It was obviously very odd timing. Um, he is uh, active in this space, obviously. He's always been, um, you know, kind of hawkish on Russia and Ukraine. And interestingly, the very thing that he's investigating Joe Biden over, which is the firing of this prosecutor, Shokin, that he claims was a corrupt firing to protect his son, Hunter Biden, is something that, that Ron Johnson himself actually supported, said that in order to clean out corruption in Ukraine, they needed to reform their prosecutor's office. So the, the hypocrisy there, you know, suggests to the Democrats that this is purely political and that he's just trying to dig up dirt on Biden prior to the election. Yeah, and it kind of also suggests that he's knowingly participating in, in laundering this information. Uh, I mean, you know, we can speculate all day, but I mean, you're right. He was part, I think he actually was part of, signed a letter to to uh, work on this, uh, to oust that old prosecutor in, in Ukraine. If, if my memory serves, there was like a letter that went that went around and a lot of Republicans signed it. He did. Yeah, he actually was one of the people that signed that letter. So, you know, he, he wasn't oblivious to the changes that that Ukraine needed to make in terms of fighting corruption. And he was on board with Democrats who were trying to do the same thing. And of course, Joe Biden. Um, so now it just seems like with all of the noise that Giuliani had been making during impeachment with all of his allies, like Durkacz, like Telezenko, all of that, um, it seems to have seeped into the Senate. And the, the fact that it's happening a few months before the election is not a coincidence. Yeah. And it's also a, like a massive story. I'm surprised it's not getting um, I mean, now that you now that you've penned it, it'll it'll probably get the traction that it deserves. But, you know, we were sort of screaming about this, you know, illegitimate, you know, especially with the the old stories of Rudy Giuliani delivering a manila envelope to the White House or the Department of Justice and about Burisma and his meetings with Lev and Fruman and Fertosh funding it. And I mean, there's just so much like subsumed in this one story. Yeah, that's that's right. And we still haven't gotten good answers from Republicans in the Senate who are involved in all this about whether they have been receiving a steady stream of information from these actors. So what have they received? Have they received tapes? Have they received oppo? Have they received anything that that would be considered, um, you know, foreign election interference in terms of a tangible thing that the FBI has asked all people, you know, report? to them. Um, we, we've asked these questions and we just get 
you know, the, the spokespeople kind of demurring on them. So that's also pretty telling. And, you know, the Biden spokespeople are also, you know, watching this pretty closely and, and responding to it in real time. Yeah. And it's also sort of, you know, the, a lot of other things play into this, especially with the the attack on inspectors general, the attack on whistleblowers, the fact that McGuire, the former DNI, was DNI was fired after uh, supposedly, allegedly briefing the gang of aid on Russia without clearing it with Trump first. And so there's sort of been, you know, I, I was talking to Frank Fogluzzi about this, there's sort of been this kind of cutoff of intel from the intelligence community making it to Congress. And I think that this could be a symptom of that. Yeah, I think that they're obviously a bit more reluctant to share things that could be politicized and manipulated, um, especially given, like you said, the firing of, of people who bring these concerns to the Hill. So there's a wariness there, and that's obviously dangerous in and of itself. Um, I think that what the Democrats in their letter earlier this week are trying to do is to create more of that communication between the Bureau and the Hill so that they can say, look, you know, this is coming from the executive branch. This is information that that the FBI has collected suggesting that this is a targeted interference operation. Um, Whether or not Republicans change their behavior following such a briefing, um, that will be very interesting because then they'll truly have no excuse, right? I mean, if they're told that they're being used as tools of, you know, Russian or Ukrainian propaganda um, to interfere in the election, then, you know, all of their claims about the dossier being improper foreign interference will just fall on deaf ears um, because they will essentially be doing the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, and and the the laundering term here, I just found fascinating too, uh, and I think that it kind of helps explain sort of what the utilization of Congress to get this disinformation into into the American public is about. Which you know, when you launder money, you take illegal illegally gotten dollars, you spend it on some shit, you sell the shit, you get the money back. It's clean now. And that's money laundering in a nutshell. Um, Trump knows all about it. But w- when you're laundering sort of information, what I think what they're trying to say here, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you've got this really dirty Giuliani Parnas fraud guarantee, whatever Furtash funded bullshit information coming from Ukraine and, and pro, in, pro-Russian uh, backed people in Ukraine into the United States. They used WikiLeaks before. Now they're using Congress to make it legitimate. Is that the laundering aspect of of this that we're seeing? Yeah, that's exactly the the allegation that they're making, because they know that at this point, no one's going to take anything that folks like Durkach and Giuliani and all them seriously, unless they're like fringe far right media outlets like One American News, which has given them a platform for all of this. So it's made its way into an American news outlet, but not a legitimate one. Um, and it hasn't picked up much traction in terms of, you know, actually substantiating allegations against Joe Biden. So the way that they're kind of getting it into the bloodstream is through this investigation, is through Congress calling people to testify and to give depositions about something so that they can release a report, you know, a couple weeks before the election that outlines you know, alleged wrongdoing by the vice president and his son, in which kind of inserts doubt into the American public's consciousness about who Joe Biden really is. And so that, you know, in 2016, it was WikiLeaks and the press. And now they say it's, you know, Congress doing the dirty work. 
Yeah, and you have to wonder how this info is getting to Ron Johnson or or Congress in the in the first place, because then you got to wonder about are they lobbyists or they or have they registered as a foreign agent on behalf of whoever's feeding the information? I mean, it's it's really there's just so much. This is the, I mean, this is a second Mueller investigation potentially. Do you know what I mean? It's this huge. It's that big. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, this is yet another example of, I mean, we're just repeating the same thing from 2016. It's slightly different, but it's the exact same playbook. And again, like we haven't gotten any good answers from Republicans about what they've actually received from these people, because Durkash, for example, has actually hired lobbyists to represent him and to set up meetings and talks with people in the White House and on Capitol Hill. Um, so it's not even that they're using cutouts at this point. It seems to be direct contact um, and direct information sharing. So whether we see what that actually looks like in any kind of report they release, that remains to be seen. But as for right now, there's just really no transparency into the process whatsoever. Well, I suppose the silver lining here is that most people will probably just ignore what Ron Johnson is doing anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I think that uh, I think that I I I have a feeling that people's minds are sort of made up, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And this is not something that's picked up much traction, as I mentioned before. And that's why kind of the Biden campaign has been so reluctant to address it. They they don't want to inadvertently elevate the claims and rebut everything that they say at every turn because they just think that the American people aren't paying attention to it anyway and don't buy into it. Um, but at the same time, there is this feeling that you have to expose it for what it is, which is a foreign operation to impact the election, because these people in Ukraine, they don't want to see someone who is necessarily tougher on corruption, as Joe Biden proved himself to be in the in the in the Obama administration, become pre- president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, you know, something that is is kind of a, a repeat of what we saw in 2016. But and the way that the Biden campaign now is dealing with it is trying to be a little bit more aggressive, especially given so many people at the top of the Biden campaign, dealt with this directly in 2016. People like Tony Blinken, Avril Haines, who were in the administration, having to confront this head on and scrambling. Um, now they're trying to, to really, you know, not be caught off guard and nip it in the bud. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of that, Joe, you did a piece on Joe Biden's new, uh, well, he came out pretty aggressively uh, against foreign interference in our elections recently this week. He did. Yeah. And this was actually, I'm told, kind of the results of a lot of pressure by by outside advisors, by informal advisors and by people in his own campaign team who were like, look, you know, what if something were to happen in the waning days of the election in October? The Ukrainians release something that's like a doctored tape or something edited that's just like a November, October, whatever, September even surprise. And the public doesn't understand that this has all been part of a, you know, concerted, coordinated operation, essentially. Mm. Um, it's it's just not tenable to leave it to the last minute to respond to this kind of thing. So that's why they're trying to build the groundwork and lay lay the groundwork to to show that this is something that's nefarious and that's been in the works really for about, you know, over a year now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and explaining this to us. Uh, This is a massive story. Congrats on the scoop. And uh, I think that, um, you know, I mean, we've gone over all the points, so we just have to wait and see what happens. National Security Correspondent for Politico, Natasha Bertrand. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. We'll be right back uh, after this quick break. So stay with us. 
Hey everybody, AG here. This Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. As we know, CBD is extremely popular now. It's popping up everywhere in all kinds of stuff from coffee and supplements to pet treats. But how can you tell what's good, what's not, uh, what's safe, what ingredients are used, do they have transparency, who can you trust? And those were just some of the questions I had, and Sunsoil CBD had all the answers. Transparency and quality control set them apart from the rest. With Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it came from. There's no second guessing, because they only use ingredients you can pronounce. Uh, most of their products have just two ingredients, actually, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. And they farm all their own hemp in their Green Mountain Farms of Vermont, and they extract the CBD themselves, and they test for quality and purity every step. They never use pesticides or herbicides or GMOs uh, because Sunsoil does everything in-house and they keep their products simple. They can offer the highest quality CBD at the best prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are half the price of other ingestible CBD brands. Every Sunsoil product is USDA organic certified, including their oil drops, soft gels and capsules and their coconut oil. Uh, I like to put a few of the oil drops in my morning coffee or I'll take a soft gel at night before getting some great sleep. And one of the best things about Sunsoil is that as the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet, they'll be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and the planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at unbeatable prices. Get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for news from Under the Radar. And joining me today is Jordan Coburn. How are you? Are you feeling better than yesterday? I am. Yes. I'm done throwing up, which is the best. (laughs) Which is the best. (laughs) You know, you're living in Trump times when the best is you're done throwing up. Yes. Um, I'm glad that you're feeling better. So that's good. Um, We've got a couple of headlines today. I'll kick it off with court news. Do 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 news from the court ships at sea. We have the court <laughs> reporting news. Uh, the Supreme Court on Monday has denied a request by House Democrats to accelerate the timeline of their remaining court battles over the subpoenas for Trump's tax returns from Mazar's Deutsche Bank and Capital One. We've been following those SCOTUS decisions forever, uh, and uh, you know the the bid by the lawmakers came in response to their to their seven two ruling that uh, basically said Trump, you don't have total immunity. Um, but you can't, the house, you can't have these things. You have to go down to the lower court and figure out what you can have and what you can't have. You gotta, you guys gotta figure it out. And under regular Supreme Court procedure, the ruling, uh, there would be a 25 day delay. It would take until August 3rd to get down to the lower court. And the Democrats wanted to avoid that. So they asked the justices for an expedited schedule. But the conservative majority court rejected that request Monday in an unsigned order. So there's no opinion, but Sotomayor said, she would have granted it. Um, earlier this month, they issued a blockbuster split decision that handed a win to New York state prosecutors seeking Trump's tax returns. We know that. That's Cy Vance mm-hmm. and the Manhattan DA. But dealt this setback to the Democrats in the House who wanted the same shit. So while the justices settled some of the major legal issues embedded in the disputes, they left most of it to the lower courts to resolve. And on Friday, as we know, the Supreme Court agreed to expedite the the Vance stuff. They said, yeah, go ahead. And they had the hearing in the district court. And I think there's a like by the 24th. Uh, Trump's new bullshit reasons are due. And then uh, I think Vance has until August uh, or the 27th or something to file his motion to dismiss. And then August 3rd for Trump's reply or August 10th for Trump's reply, August 14th 
for uh, Vance's reply to his reply. So that's a very expedited schedule. Uh, so the, the court allowed that, but they're not allowing it uh, in the Vance case. They're not allowing it for the House. So ba- they basically that means the uh, the three Democratic House-led committees will have to wait nearly a month from the date of the court's decision before they can proceed to the lower courts. And in other court news, uh, lawyers for Mike Flynn, his crazy, crazy lawyers, urged an appeals court Monday to immediately shut down the lingering fight over whether Judge Sullivan must dismiss the criminal case against Flynn. Quote, the district court has hijacked and extended a criminal prosecution for almost three months for its own purpose. Uh, That's what Flynn's attorneys wrote in a filing with the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, Last month, the panel voted two to one to reject Sullivan's position and issue a rare order by approving the writ of mandamus from Flynn requiring Sullivan to dismiss the case. But Sullivan... Uh, appointed to the federal bench by Clinton, asked for the full appeals court to to review the ruling on Bonk, right? And Flynn's legal team this Monday uh, said Sullivan has no standing to request such a review. Quote, to allow Judge Sullivan to delay and generate litigation against a criminal defendant is unconstitutional. First of all, for their fucking side to say to to say that they don't like people delaying shit in the courts is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> their fucking first and foremost tactic always <laughs> and uh that's what Sidney powell wrote and she said this action diminishes the status of the federal judiciary as an independent bulwark for the rule of law beep burp buzzword buzzword suck the court's dick i love trump uh <laughs> and i added that part at the end yeah uh and but here's the thing even if sullivan is somehow deemed to lack standing which he doesn't lack standing uh any active dc circuit court judge can request a poll of the full court even if no litigant sullivan in this case seeks uh the right to do so or even is determined to not have standing to do so and you know uh, andrew torres and i from opening arguments had a little debate about this he said i bet sullivan's gonna file to have it reheard on bonk and i said i bet one of the other judges on the dc circuit court of appeals is gonna poll the court to have it heard on bonk and seven of the judges are uh democrats or liberals you know i shouldn't say democrats and we used to not care about that but you know what i mean it would have gone our way And uh, and he was right. He won that bet. And so, he, you know, that that Sullivan is the one who did it. And now Sidney Powell is saying he doesn't have standing to do that, which he does. And even if he didn't, fucking Merrick Garland could be like, I want to pull uh, the entire D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And they would all say, yeah, we want to rehear this shit because they disagree with what the circuit court did, because what the circuit court did was silly. Uh, and, and then they would have a, they would, you know, review the case on bonk. So she's just full of shit. And I don't even know where she's where she's coming from on this. But I, it's so funny that they're like, I can't believe they're using these delay tactics. Oh, my God. Yeah, they really they really uh, bank on people's limited memory. However, that is not something that a judge typically has. Quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah, pot in the fucking kettle. Powell, Sidney Powell. Um, all right, you have a story for us coming out of Ohio. What's going on? It's time to wait. You know what? I think we should play the theme song. It's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. <laughs> Sweet. I'm going to be indicted! No, wait, it's going to be okay. Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! So, Ohio, Jim Jordan's stomping grounds. Federal agents, they've arrested Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder 
giving him the most redundant name. Uh, and four others on Tuesday as part of a $60 million racketeering and bribery investigation. Do you think that the, do you think the Republicans just elected him Speaker of the House because his name is Householder? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I know, I mean, you know he has to, you know, I, I want to not have sympathy for him, but as a victim of trite jokes, I do. Because you know he's constantly getting that shit all the maybe, time. Maybe, maybe. Maybe on the ballot they thought it was a they thought it was a multiple choice question. Who is Speaker of the House? Smith, yeah. Bob, Householder, or John? Oh well, the Householder <laughs> is the Speaker yeah. of the House, <laughs> so that's how he got his speakership. <laughs> yeah, I had to do like a triple take when I read this story just to double check I wasn't like being an idiot or something. And yeah, his his last name is indeed Householder of the House. Yeah, the same every <laughs> time I do a story with Sheldon Whitehouse in it, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, how did the White so, House respond so, to White House? What's happening? Yeah, so weird like political Freudian slip or something. But no, that is his name, Larry Householder. Uh, so Larry, I'll just call him that, <laughs> keep myself straight. Larry and four others on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, they're, they, they, yep, they, they got arrested. So the criminal complaint was unsealed today, Tuesday, and it describes what happened as Householder's Enterprise. And, and, he, and it also describes states that he and his associates had been secretly using money uh, from they'd taken money from an energy company to expand their own political prowess and give money to themselves, and on top of that, cover up all of the criminal things that they were engaging in. U.S. Attorney David DeVillers, he said, this is likely the largest bribery money laundering scheme ever perpetrated against the people of the state of Ohio. Ever. He said ever. That's insane. He went on to say, this was bribery plain and simple. This was a quid pro quo this was paid to play. And so what they're, what Householder, Larry, is accused of is creating this enterprise uh, called Generation Now Ohio. And it would collect large, large sums of money for him and his associates. Uh, and it was to advocate for this bailout of nuclear plants. And what is happening, though, was some of the money was also being spent on Larry's own political campaign, as well as his friends' campaigns, uh, the they went on. To, the complaint states the millions paid into the entity were akin to bags of cash, unlike campaign or PAC contributions. They were not regulated, not reported, not subject to public scrutiny, and the enterprise freely spent the bribe payments to further the enterprise's political interests and to enrich themselves. So just completely mm. opening themselves up to people buying them out and without any sort of you know give a shit at all they were also yeah. just pocketing the money in whichever ways that they they really felt like um yeah, and I'm, re I'm reminded of three things here i'm thinking of bagman uh mm -hmm. by Maddo when spiro agnew did that to get government contracts to his buddies i'm thinking of uh, th with the nuclear power plants, if this was connected to the Middle East Marshall Plan with Flynn and Copson texting on the dais, we talked about mm -hmm. this in the in Mueller. She wrote quite a bit, especially in episode six, our, mm -hmm. that that long ago. And then, of course, I think of Michael Cohen and his uh, bribe that he gave someone, which was a plastic bag full of some cash and a boxing glove. Remember that? Th those mm -hmm. were the days. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, def I mean, it's unfortunately something that, you know, 
I can only imagine is going on pretty much constantly. People opening up their wallets in the back door, their back door wallets to people, flooding them, you know, with some money for certain policy responses. But it's just fucking amazing that it's happening to Householder for multiple reasons. Number one, him being the Speaker of the House in Ohio, this makes it such like a high-profile story, clearly. And it's not just him also charged uh, where the four lobbyists and Republican operatives. The names are Matthew uh, Borge. He's former Ohio Republican Party chair and consultant. Is that how you say his name? B-O-R-G-E-S. Do you know? I'm I'm sure. Borges? Borges, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. There I go, saying it all French again. Uh, And then Neil... (laughs) I care. (laughs) Yeah. In In this country that is bordered by... Well, I guess... There's French Canadians. But anyways, I always there err are. on the side of France for some reason. Mm. Um, and well, then you took French. I did take French. I really did. Mm-hmm. I really got a... I err on the side of German. That's why I called him Mueller for the first <laughs> fucking yeah. three weeks of our show. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Thank you. That makes me feel better. Uh, the other guy, yep. one of the other guys, Neil Clark. He's founder of Grant Street Consultants. And he Clark-y. was called by... <laughs> he was called by USA Today once uh one of the best connected lobbyists in columbus that's never a good sign (laughs) what a weird shirt (laughs) that's that's like a weird (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's like we had the el cajon speedway and its tagline was the fastest five-eighths oval in the west that's what (laughs) that reminds me of like the the most well-connected lobbyists in columbus (laughs) yeah yeah totally that's it's like i uh wait where where are you from again originally uh, I'm from uh, outside of Akron, little township called Willow Springs Estates in Talmadge, Ohio. Nice, very cool. Yeah, well then, but so you know, you this this I didn't even think about that. That this is this is your home state that all this shit's going down in right now. I I feel like yep. uh, <laughs> yup. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the best connected lobbyists in Columbus. I mean, like, being described as best connected is only a, a a good thing if if you're talking about like a like a one of those chain link paper necklaces. Not lobbyists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, this guy, <laughs> this guy. This guy, Householder, he has massive influence on policymaking and decisions in Ohio because he's the speaker of the fucking house. This is huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Another one of the guys is co-founder of the Oxley Group in Columbus. And then another one oh, is Jeffrey. Oh, the good old Oxley Group. <laughs> Are you familiar? They're the best darn group in Columbus. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I need to apologize um, to our Columbus listeners now. I absolutely love Columbus, Ohio. Please just, but you know what I mean. Totally. Um, USA Today once called them the most disconnected group in Columbus. Just kidding. <laughs> Jeffrey Long, <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Long, Longstreth. He's an advisor to Householder, Larry. And then, yeah, Generation Now Ohio. That's that nonprofit that the federal prosecutors are linking to both Jeffrey Longstreth and Larry Householder. Um, and Generation Now Ohio is facing racketeering charges. So there's just a whole bunch of shit going down there. And it's lovely to see such a massive takedown of a person that clearly has a lot of influence in Ohio. 
And I hope that that kind of work can continue. Rico, racketeering. Good old racketeering. We finally got a Fantasy Indictment League indictment for Rico. (sighs) Yeah. Cool. Well, good riddance, Larry. Savor it. Yeah. Man. Savor it. Maybe, Maybe the problem is... SDNY is just too high profile or something, you know? And maybe maybe Ohio is on the down low enough that it wasn't on the radar or something of, of Bill Barr. Or does, like, does he have any sort of power now to step in mm. in this case? I mean, conceivably, right? I mean, it depends. If you talk about the inner machinations of U.S. attorney's offices, they pretty much operate independently of Maine justice you know if there's some massive political case like this i assume it would have gone up to Maine justice for sign off mm-hmm. uh but you know if if the evidence is over fucking whelming the evidence is over fucking whelming if it's yeah if it's, you know if you got something going on with what householder was doing it's it's not something that you can, you can just that bar can just be like nope we're sweeping this one under right. the rug it happened with hawk bank it happened with you know multiple cases and so <clears throat> i i assume it did it, this this probably did go up to main justice but it's mostly usually from what i understand from talking to former u.s attorneys it's just sort of like a a a, a kind of a a courtesy call like hey we're doing this today just a heads up for you main justice you know yeah um, also if they if it doesn't actually rope in anybody that Barr is trying to protect specifically in trump circle then they'll let that stuff continue yeah and that's probably one of the reasons that bill Barr was like anything in the presidential election has to go through me specifically yeah you know, so that that he won't be any there won't be any surprises on even opening up an investigation in those particular cases so that's yeah, where we that's are right. but thank that's you for right. that reporting yeah totally um get this the uk russia report is finally out from kyle cheney at politico the united kingdom failed to take the threat of russia's political interference seriously until the kremlin orchestrated the hack of the democratic national committee in 2016 that's according to the new report from the house of commons intelligence committee that was just revealed today it suggests that the uk's government ignored mounting indications of russian disinformation and money laundering in its midst for years and has paid the price of it it's a heavily heavily redacted report uh, which eliminated many specifics to prevent Russia from gleaning insight into the workings of British intelligence services. Uh, probably not that, but whatever. And that's a you know, and it describes the UK's relationship with the United States as a crucial bulwark against Russian aggression. That's twice we've had bulwark come up today. Um, <laughs> however, a redacted passage. Uh, it's the bulwark show. Uh, a redacted passage on the relationship between the two countries hints at a significant caveat. Get this, and this is from Kyle Cheney. He says, "Quote: Well, this is from the." report. It is clear that the partnership between U.S. and U.K. provides valuable capabilities that blank to the U.K. and avoids the duplication of coverage through effective burden sharing. However, there remains a question as to whether redacted. Uh, This is important given the relative priority of work on Russia among the Five Eyes partnership. So this seems to me like they're kind of saying, we thought we could rely on Trump, but we can't. Hey, have a nice day. But it's all redacted, so I'm not sure that that's what it really says. Um, It gives a notable shout out, this report, to Christopher Steele. We all know who he is, the Steele dossier. In the report's opening pages, Steele is listed among a small group of outside advisors who informed its conclusions, and he's thanked for volunteering substantial expertise on Russia, which provided us with an invaluable foundation for the classified evidence sessions. Uh, The praise for Steele is pretty much an indirect rebuke of Trump, who earlier this month called for him to be extradited and jailed for his role in compiling the dossier. 
uh, among its conclusions. This report, the Russia report, suggests the government may want to emulate the United States law prohibiting foreign agents from operating in the United States without registering with the Department of Justice, a statute known as the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Uh, the U.S. relationship with the U.K. is a central feature in the report, which indicates that the U.K. is a top target for Russian interference, in part because of its role in NATO and close ties to the United States. Uh, in fact, it was Russia's hack and leak operation against the DNC that first jolted the U.K. into understanding the depths of Russia's capabilities. Uh, quote, prior to what we saw in the States uh, with Russian interference, it wasn't generally understood as a big threat to the electoral process. Uh, the report notes that that, uh, that was from a redacted official's testimony, though. Uh, it also suggests the country take a page from the United States and our response to Russian interference and conduct abroad after the fact assessment uh, of the Russian scheme to interfere in elections. They want to take a page from our, the way we dealt with the Russian interference, election interference. But basically, they're... They're more talking about the broad after the fact assessment of the Russian scheme in that our Senate, you know, five part uh, intelligence report uh, findings are uh, our ICA, our intelligence community assessment that came out in January 2017. And of course, the Mueller investigation. They're like, we should take a page and do something like that. That Mueller. What a fella. So <laughs> that's sort of uh, the long and short of it, it it just has so many redactions, but those are the pop out key things. Anything else that pop you know comes up, we'll tell you about. And uh, before we close this down, I do have a story that comes with a trigger warning, um, and this is, uh, has to do with uh, Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson at Fox News. If you'll <clears throat> remember. Uh, a few days ago, Tucker Carlson or Fox announced Tucker Carlson would be taking a nice little vacation for a minute, uh, you know. Uh, and so, you know, we just want to let you know who's going to be uh, on a nice vacation, enjoying some time off. And every time Fox puts one of their fucking people on vacation, it's for a reason. And it's always got to do with sexual harassment or assault. Uh, and that's what's happening here. Um, there's a, a complaint filed with the New York federal court on July 20th that alleges sexual misconduct by top Fox news hosts, including Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Howard Kurtz. It also addresses a previous rape allegation by Jennifer Eckhart against Ed Henry, who was fired from the network on July 1st after an internal investigation. Quote, in reality, Fox News knew that Mr. Henry had engaged in sexual misconduct as far back as as early as 2017. At that time, when Fox News was conducting a company-wide investigation into issues of sexual harassment, multiple women came forward to complain that Mr. Henry had engaged in sexually inappropriate conduct towards them. Unquote. That's from the complaint. Her claim alleges that Fox News violated federal laws against sex trafficking by supporting Henry. That's a really interesting allegation, too. A second plaintiff, Kathy Aru, a former Fox contributor and quote-unquote liberal Sherpa that would appear on Tucker, Tucker Carlson tonight, alleges sexual harassment by Henry. Additionally, she claims that Hannity offered his staff and crew $100 to take her on a date during a preparation for a taping and that she was hardly ever, if ever at all, brought back on his show afterwards, after, you know, after that was, offer was made. During her final 2018 appearance, uh, or excuse me, one of her final appearances on Tucker Carlson's show, she alleged uh, she was kept on set by tech crew who refused to take off her earpiece so that Tucker Carlson could invite her to a hotel room where he was staying that night without his family. And she declined. And after that, she had only been featured on his show three times ever since. And um, she also had said she declined a meeting with Howard Kurtz, whose media buzz show... 
she had appeared on regularly. Um, she declined a meeting with him at a hotel room one night in 2019, instead suggesting he meet her with a friend for dinner. He did not agree to the meeting and afterwards wouldn't talk with her about possible advancement opportunities, telling her, in sum and substance, you're the only woman here who won't come to my hotel room. Uh, the complaint demands a trial by jury um, against Fox News, Ed Henry, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Howard Kurtz as defendants. So I don't know how many uh, of uh, Fox News um, executives, uh, showrunners, uh, producers, and hosts have to be accused of sexual misconduct for people to get it. Uh, but it's clear that this is the vacation that Tucker Carlson is currently on, and this could um, this could signal the end of Fox News, which right now is pretty much hated by everybody, including Trump. It's too it's too left wing for him now. <laughs> so you know we'll see um, we'll see what happens. But I'll be following these stories closely, and I know you all will be too. So those are the headlines from Under the Radar. And we will be right back after this uh, quick break with the good news block uh, for a little antidote to what, what we just had to report. So stay with us. Hey, Daily Beans listeners, it's AG. And this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. As we've learned during this pandemic, it's better to be safe than sorry. And it's better to be proactive than reactive. Uh, I like to stay safe by socially distancing, staying at home, working from home, and I like to reduce unnecessary trips out. And if you're like me, looking to avoid the crowds at the grocery stores, I recommend trying Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals straight to your door, and it's a perfect and tasty solution for the times that we're in right now. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. They make it easy and convenient because everything is pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook. You can enjoy a full dinner of organic produce and clean ingredients in like 15 minutes. And it, and it's easy. You don't have to be like a chef or, you, or even have any experience in the kitchen because I don't. I burn jello. But these come out perfect every time. Uh, they offer a wide range of recipes to choose from. So you can try uh, like croissant steak strip lettuce cups with pickled daikon and carrots or black bean, uh, black bean tostadas diablo with cabbage slaw and guacamole. My current favorite, roasted salmon with miso glazed eggplant. Uh, and you can order any recipes across their menu. Skip a week if you want to. Double up on your favorite ones if you feel like it. It's so flexible. And their facilities have the highest level of food and employee safety. They reinforce strict adherence to their operating procedures and have even increased sanitization frequency in their distribution centers to help protect you, your family, and their employees. And that means a lot to us. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. One more time, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and don't forget to enter promo code dailybeans. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news, as always, is Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. Hey. How's it going? I know it's been it's been like years since we've spoken. <laughs> yep. yep, yep, yep. In our weird time travel scenarios. Ah, uh, I miss you. I miss you too, dude. I wish we yeah. that people would just wear their fucking masks so we can get this shit over with. Yeah, me too. I'm getting like really fucking sick of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Um, 
Good news. We all are. But <laughs> this is the good news block. And thank you to our producer, Amanda Reeder, for putting together the good news block. Yay. I just want to give her a shout out because I know she's doing, uh, doing, uh, hanging out at home with the Marley Moo, the pod dog today. And uh, they're having a good day over there. And so I just wanted to say hello to them. And our first little bit of good news comes from Anonymous, pronouns they, them. The good news is that I have just made my first session appointment with a gender doula. I came out as non-binary in quarantine with my parents, um, and with my parents, and while I'm lucky, they and my friends have been really great. I realized I'm going to need some help figuring this out and getting myself to a place where I can really live in my body and feel at home there. So. Hopefully I'll have better news further on this process, but this is a huge difference to where I was a few years ago in college when I was wearing very feminine clothing and makeup at all times uh, in what was an effort to convince others and myself that I was my assigned gender. I'm at least facing the truth now, and that's a pretty big deal for me on this journey. That is so awesome. I didn't even know there were gender doulas, and that's incredible. Yeah, that, that is, is really absolutely cool. wonderful. And what a great name for them too, right? Doula, gender doula. Yeah. So congratulations on taking that step for yourself. Yeah. All of my heart and love and support to you on that journey because that's, and, and it's just so, I think just mature and wonderful and, and incredible that, that you're like, I need to do that for myself. And so, yes, you know, hugs to you. 100% in the face of something that society as a whole is not nearly where they need to be at in terms of being supportive of that yeah. journey so hell yeah. yes thank you that like erases all of the bad feelings from all yeah. of the bad news that we've had yeah. to deliver today it's just totally. so great i love it i love it totally yeah i fucking love this segment it definitely does that and has that effect on our listeners too and i know that because they tell us that so thank you everybody for consistently contributing so we can keep the segment um, next up from Susan in Miami, Susan says, so yesterday at 3 p.m. Eastern, the Washington Post published a story about how the grocery store Winn-Dixie was not going to require masks. I commented on their post that I was going to shop at Publix instead. I then went to the Winn-Dixie website and sent a message to their corporate office at about 3.15 p.m. saying that I, a regular Winn-Dixie customer, was not going to shop at my nearby store until they required masks, but was instead going to shop at Publix. I have a confirmation email from Winn-Dixie at 3.17 p.m., so this is how I know the time. Then, at 6.16 p.m. Eastern, the Washington Post writes that Winn-Dixie has changed its mind due to customer feedback. It will now require masks. The lesson here, contact your senator, contact those businesses, let them know if they screw up. This was the great thing about Indivisible. It put out prompts for people to contact their senators, members of Congress, etc., when the Trump administration messed up in the early days. I have to say I have been disappointed that Indivisible has seemed to disappear after 2018. I will now be posting prompts to contact elected officials in advance of the 2020 election. I mean, hello, secret police in Portland? Yeah, dude. Our fucking yeah. rights. And now Chicago. They're landing in Chicago, too. Yep. And I loved to see since this is a good news block, the antidote to the secret police in Portland, the thousands of, of moms and women <laughs> yeah. and people in solidarity who were just like, not in my fucking town. And I know that Chicago is going to do the same. New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Atlanta. I know they're all going to do the same and show up in numbers and and just not take that shit. Not take, Don't take that fascist shit. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. 
Thank you, Susan, in Miami. And yes, um, you, you, you can actually make a difference by sort of, you know, making those decisions with your pocketbook. Uh, next up from Anonymous. Uh, when I was in college in the early 2000s, I went to Miami for spring break with a friend and stayed with her parents. I was on this trip that I was introduced. Uh, it was on this trip that I was introduced to the bidet and swore I would have one in my house one day when I was a grown up. Well, with COVID and all, I finally got a bidet attachment for my toilet. Mine is not a standalone with adjustable temperature like my friend's parents' bidet, but it gets the job done. It even has a feminine spray option. And to be perfectly honest, in the deep south summer heat, it's extra refreshing and kills the swamp ass. (laughs) All I want to know is why we Americans have denied ourselves this luxury for so long. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because it's some weird thing about the French. You know, I remember we were like freedom fries. Maybe we need a freedom toilet instead of a bidet and people will be into it. It's funny that you say that talking point specifically. Why have Americans denied themselves this luxury for so long? Um, I forget if I said this on the podcast. I probably did. But one of my freelance jobs is writing like comedic ads basically for companies and i was writing one with the team for for a bidet and that was something that we used a lot was like americans have been fucking up meanwhile over in europe they're like chilling and living their best life and then france was referenced so you saying that is very funny anyway all of you are on point bidets america needs to get on them they're literally they're the best ever i feel like Mm -hmm. I have a new toilet now, I just realized. Do you remember Bidet Gate, everybody? Yeah. Back in the beginning? The bidet Gate. <laughs> <laughs> it had a leak and you couldn't do it back when you were living yes. at your old place. Yes. Do you have the now bidet? I- oh, my God. Oh, no, my ex has it. <laughs> Uh-oh. We'll just get you a new bidet. We'll put together a GoFundMe. my ass. <laughs> and uh, we'll get you a freedom toilet. I think most people like most people go back to their exes to get like their favorite sweater or something. I'm gonna like knock on Ryan's door to ask for the bidet <laughs> instead of you know, uh, give me my money back. No, give me my bidet back, you bitch. Yeah, I can hear it. I can hear it. It's a new Ben yes. Folds hit. Exactly. Uh, Except I'm all excited. Good, all good vibes towards Ryan, everybody. We're good. In case everyone anyone's worried about that. <laughs> People, people become very <laughs> invested in our personal lives, and I appreciate that. Everything's good. I'm sure he'd hand over the bidet with a smile on his face if uh, if I asked. But yeah, nice. either way, I got a new toilet now, so it's time for some new beginnings. Well, let's hook it up. Mm-hmm. What, what? Who's next? What do we got next? Next up from Anonymous, pronoun she, her. Anonymous says, a, she says, a few weeks ago, I got an opportunity to do some consulting work, which I've never done before, and needed to name my price. This client had come my way via my graduate school, so I was concerned he was looking for a really low price, but I have a wealth of knowledge that is needed to do for this that is needed for this work. Um, after considering the project and discussing it with a friend, I ended up quoting a much higher price than I initially wanted to. I held my breath and sent off a proposal, and part of me was sure this client would think I was being ridiculous. He didn't. We agreed on the value of my work, and I got the job. I've been so used to having the worth of my work and my competence questioned, I am a woman after all, that I was blown away that this person believed me. I know this means I left money on the table, but I'm thrilled to have my expertise recognized and fairly compensated. Eventually, I want to run for office, but in my state, our legislator is part-time, so I have to consider whether I can afford to serve. That's fucked up. Consulting has been in the back of my mind for a while as a way to be able to do this, and I feel like this project is the universe winking at me and saying it's possible. Yes! Yes! Know your worth! Woo! Know your worth. 
That's why we took away our $1 a month patron subscription. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. People were like... We had so many people like, why do you have a dollar a month? You're way, you're way more valuable than that. And we're like, okay, but we want to give the thing. <laughs> but now we have uh, now we have patrons sponsoring patrons, so you can actually we sign do. up it to get it for out. free. I love it. It did. Totally. It all worked out. Totally. But I love that. I love that, too. It really is so nerve-wracking, and I totally get your, you know, aside about being a woman, and it's it's like constantly trying to prove that you're even worth what you're already getting paid let alone asking for a raise and good for you good for you for starting right off the bat with a high yay offer i love it super rad me too next piece of good news from brent pronouns he him hi daily beans thanks for all your hard work and dedication to the truth my good news is paired with heartbreaking news uh, but in a minute you'll see why i want to share on november 3rd 2018 my niece jana and members of girl scout troop 3055 were picking up garbage along the road near Chippewa. A person drove into their work zone while huffing, lost control, and went off the road. Jaina, two other scouts, and a scout mother were killed while they were trying to make the world a better place. We miss Jaina's bright smile and sparkly personality every day. Recently, her memorial foundation launched its website. It's uh, jainakelly.com. That's J-A-Y-N-A-K-E-L-L-E-Y.com. The foundation's mission is to help improve lives by providing educational opportunities and to make the community, state, country, and world a better place by providing charitable benefits, supporting multiple charities with funds the foundation raises. If any Beans listeners would like to learn about what a special kid Jaina was, please click on over. And if they'd like to help Jaina make the world a better place, it would mean a lot. This weekend is my brother's birthday, Jaina's dad, and all he wants for the world is to see how awesome Jaina was. All the best hugs, Brent Kelly. So, if you can, it's just to even just learn about Jaina, go to Jaina Kelly, J-A-Y-N-A, Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y dot com, and uh, check out their foundation. Yeah. That's a memorial foundation. Thank oh you, Oh, my Brent. God. That's horrible, though. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And I'm 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 excited for... I'm excited for people to learn who she was and celebrate uh, uh celebrate her life. Absolutely. So. Yeah, totally. And I love I love the making your community and where was it? Um listed it all there. Uh making your community, state, country and world a better place. That's awesome. So great legacy thank you for sharing that uh brent i really appreciate it and happy happy birthday to your brother yes happy birthday to your brother um gosh all the love just all i just i want to hug everybody today those are the good news stories if you have any good news stories please send them to us at dailybeanspod.com and use the contact form or you can hit us up on our twitter at dailybeanspod we are almost at twenty thousand followers squee um and if we get that vaccination you know we're flying out me and jason to come and see you and have drinks and dinners and 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 fun times and otherwise you know we'll we'll probably just do like a a private like zoom kind of thing uh ahead of time just because we can and we'll probably give away a couple of those things too so follow us on twitter there and the pinned tweet is uh where you can submit that and you can submit your quarantine confessions and corrections or just say hi um 
and we appreciate all your submissions because this 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 good news block I think I think that you might have noticed that the news and the state of this country is deteriorating at an exponential rate and it's going to just keep getting worse until January um provided we show up and vote numbers too big to manipulate and so we really need these good news stories and and uh I really need y'all and I'm glad that you're listening to us bringing you the shit show lullaby. Any final thoughts, Jordan? Not for me. Second everything that you just said. <laughs> Ditto. Um, Jordan, please feel, I'm glad you're feeling better and please feel even better uh, as as time progresses. Always Thank feel you. better. No, no entropy. You must continue to feel <laughs> Portrait of Dorian Gray. Become younger and feel more virile as your life continues and uh, with that that is my final thought and everyone please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of your mental health and take care of the planet I've been AG I've been Jordan Coburn and them's the beans The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries our marketing manager executive assistant production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder fact checking and research by AG Jordan Coburn and Amanda Reeder our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.